not fear the one and only Tucker Carlson. He's here, right here, right now. Buck up, it's going to get better. Hello, welcome to Tuckered Out. I'm Troy. I'm Tyler. And this is a podcast where we talk about Nicki Minaj superfan Tucker Carlson. <laughs> Nicki Minaj superfan, that's true. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of stupid shit that Tucker did this week, but one of them that I left out, uh, he on Tucker Carlson today interviewed a UK rapper named Zuby, who um, he describes as the most outspoken rapper in the UK. And the reason that he wants to talk to Zuby is because he pulled this stunt where, well, quote, identifying as a woman, he broke the uh, the deadlifting weight record for women to like make a point about how being able to identify as a woman is stupid, I guess. Okay. And so that, that got him an interview with Tucker. And when he was introducing this, Tucker was like, uh, it, so Nicki Minaj became more popular with the audience of this show last week. We're not big rap fans, but... Now we talk to another rapper, Zuby, and this is pathetic. <laughs> I take it Zuby does not identify as trans on a normal, everyday basis. He he certainly does not. Um, okay, just when... on the day that he decided to lift weights. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, it's... so fuck Zuby. That's a... <laughs> and fucking my wife can deadlift more than me. I'm not mad about it. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, how you doing, Tyler? <laughs> Not too bad. Yeah, so we have an interesting episode to go over today. We are... So, originally what I was putting together, we were going to do kind of a deep dive into scientific racism and talk about Tucker's interviews with Charles Murray and Curtis Yarvin. Um, Mencius Moldbug. <laughs> and uh, I, and we, we are still going to do that episode, but... Tucker did something in the nightly show this week that I felt like we had to talk about. So we, we, we have this here and this is going to be a little bit of a bottle episode. I'm, I'm leaving most of what he talked about on cutting room floor because I want to focus on a very specific kind of narrative that he was pushing this week that I think is very dangerous. So with that in mind, we are looking at the 20th through the 22nd. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, do you, uh, he got talked about quite a bit for this. Did you happen to see any Tucker Carlson news this week? I did. I was just going to say uh, it must have been a bad week because I saw people, um, news organizations calling him out for um, platforming great replacement theorists. Yeah, which isn't isn't new. Listeners of our no. show will, will be aware. Um, I believe the first time that we cataloged that was on episode nine of this show, and this is the oh 30th episode. God. So uh, he, he's been at this a while. Um, yeah. But he, he did escalate it this week in a way that I think is important and that I want to talk about. Um, so, but yeah, it was episode nine where it kind of went into the history of the Great Replacement Theory and where that comes from. There was this uh, this French philosopher, Camus, not the not the famous Camus, but a different Camus who um, wrote about this and sort of like peoples from Africa, quote, reverse colonizing white European populations. And this got picked up by a lot of neo-Nazis in the U.S. and has been a, a unifying force among like right-wing extremists since then. The, the, the 14 words are based on this, which are like um, 
we must secure a future for the white race and white children. Okay. I didn't, I didn't know that was a great replacement theory thing, but yeah, I've seen like the 1488 stuff. Yeah. So, and and that, that slogan was coined by, uh, by David Lane, who was direct, who was a member of the white supremacist terrorist group called the order. Uh, he died in, in prison in 2007, but he, he, he played a big part in kind of spreading the generally like, great replacement type ideas among neo-Nazi groups in the U S and they've been here ever since. Um, Thanks. <laughs> so uh, now that we know what kind of rosy circles are going to be in this week, I guess let's jump into it here at the start. We have Tucker Carlson opening his show on Monday. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Happy Monday. Just for fun sometime, give a little civics test to people in your neighborhood. Ask them, if you wanted to take over a country, how would you do it? And here's the answer you were likely to get from all of them. They would say, well, first, you've got to get the most votes. They're Americans. That's what they believe. And they believe it because that's how things have worked in this country for hundreds of years. It's called representative democracy. So if, if you asked me, how, how would you take over a country? I would say honey badgers. There's lots and lots and <laughs> lots of honey badgers. That sounds like a way more effective strategy. Like more to the point, I don't think that is winning elections taking over a country. Yeah, that's a that's a weird framing. You're right. But Tucker is making this point because he wants to contrast our system with authoritarianism, which he's going to explain in this next clip. But we should remember that that is not at all how things work in most other places or ever have. They don't have representative democracy. In most places, at most times, if you wanted to take over a country, first you had to control its military, the guys with guns, as Mark Milley once memorably put it. The army is essential for political control. Government dictates have no meaning without the credible threat of force to back them up. Guns are to laws what gold is to paper currency. It gives it value and strength. In a democratic system, the military serves and protects the entire population, no matter who they voted for. That's what democracy is. In an authoritarian system, by contrast, the army is the enforcement apparatus of a specific political party. That's the difference between the two systems. Okay, so Tucker's mad that Mike Milley isn't, defending tucker's whiteness and ignoring everyone else's problems that's that's what i'm picking up from this essentially yeah what was interesting in that in the beginning of that clip um that quote from mike milley we're the guys with guns tucker lust take that out of context uh the way that that is quoted um mark milley was actually making the the opposite of tucker's point um, saying that in order for a coup to be successful, they would need the support of the military. And so that was why they had to uphold democracy. Oh, I said Mike Milley. I meant Mark Milley. My bad. Yeah, I, I, I got you. I had a boss named Mike Milley, and I think that's why <laughs> <laughs> this is hard for me. So an authoritarian system is one where the military is the enforcement apparatus of a certain political party, whereas a, a democracy is is a system where the military defends everyone regardless of their political affiliation so keep that in mind as tucker develops the kind of story that he wants to talk about here um but first he's got a little bit of a detour to make he's going to talk about a recent development in germany it's worth remembering that given what we're seeing happen all around the world right now 
The German Defense Ministry, for example, recently announced it's dismantling its best-trained special operations unit. That's called the KSK. Dozens of KSK operators have recently been fired. Now, none of them have committed any kind of crime. The ruling party in Germany simply determined that they were not loyal enough. They had the wrong political view, so they got canned. As the German defense minister put it, the KSK has, quote, come under the influence of an unhealthy understanding of elites. An unhealthy understanding of elites, says the elite? Has there ever been a more revealing quote than that? In other words, anyone who doesn't think we're impressive must be fired immediately. Does that sound familiar to you? It should, because it's not just happening in Germany. All right. So Tucker is straight up lying here about the fact that no one in the KSK committed any crimes. Let's talk about why the KSK was disbanded. So the KSK, which is the most elite, they're kind of like Germany's equivalent of the Navy SEALs. Um, They were established in 1996, and its reputation was tarnished in 2003, when its then commander was forced in early retirement after being accused of being close to far-right extremists. So that was kind of where, where the KSK's bad reputation in Germany started, was this commander having ties to extremist organizations. Not good. But then the the announcement that the KSK was going to be disbanded came six weeks after investigators discovered a trove of Nazi memorabilia, an extensive arsenal of stolen ammunition and explosives on the property of a sergeant major who had served in the KSK since 2001. Now, keep in mind, the KSK was already at the center of a a long-running controversy over a notorious party three years ago, where soldiers were reported having flashed Hitler salutes and listened to neo-Nazi rock music. But the... uh, the soldier who was raided, who had an arsenal of stolen ammunition and explosives, the ammunition and explosives found on his property didn't account for all of them that have gone missing. So some 48,000 rounds of ammunition and 62 kilograms worth of explosives have gone missing from the special forces. The missing weapons and ammunition ha- have added to concerns that the recent raid is only the tip of the iceberg. Uh, so essentially what's going on here, the, the, there's a history of ties to extreme extremist groups in this in this. Um, in the KSK, um, different commanders have been found to have ties to far-right groups. And then a couple of years ago, there was this party in which several KSK officers were like flashing Heil Hitler salutes and listening to neo-Nazi bands. And then in recent years, a bunch of ammunition and 62 kilograms of explosives have gone missing from the special forces. A portion of those ammunition explosives were found in the, in the raid at this, K, this KSK officer's home where there is also a trove of Nazi memorabilia, but not all of it, which has led to concerns that there's like a, a terrorist cell operating within the KSK and that this is some sort of a coordinated effort. So there are definitely crimes being investigated here. And, and, and Tucker pretending that this is just because they didn't like German elites is very disingenuous. You don't say. But he, he's going to tie this back to things that he thinks are going on in the United States now. In this country, the slide from democracy began earlier this year, just after Joe Biden's inauguration. The new Secretary of Defense, a defense industry shill called Lloyd Austin, explained that his very first and single most pressing job was to root out what he referred to as extremism in the U.S. military. Hmm. He put the entire military on hold to do this. So the question is, what is this extremism? What does it consist of? But Lloyd Austin never told us. And yet, if you want to know the answer, you will notice how very excited, how thrilled members of one specific political party were when they heard this news. So he uh, he, he plays a clip of um, 
a couple of Democratic senators, Maisie Hirono and um, uh, Tammy Duckworth, praising the uh, Lloyd Austin's decision to try and re- his directive to try and root out extremism in the military to illustrate that, like, oh, clearly this is just going after conservatives in the military. They don't want conservative men there. Um, Not all conservatives stockpile tens of thousands of rounds of ammunition and hundreds of pounds of explosives. Yeah, yeah, that is a that is a very specific <laughs> brand conservative, you might say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, frankly, if you're going to root out all conservatives in the military, we wouldn't have a military. <laughs> True. Um, and we're we're going to talk more about this directive by Lloyd Austin in a minute. But after he plays this montage of like Democratic officials praising the directive, he says this. White supremacy in the military is a crisis, said the most unscrupulous people in Washington. But that's not what it was about. What you just saw on tape was, in fact, a power grab. The message, no one who does not support our political party is allowed to bear arms. That's what they're saying very clearly. And because it's the Democratic Party doing the talking here, there was also, needless to say, a vicious racial angle, too, because there always is. Watch Congressman Steve Cohen of Tennessee explain. The Guard is 90-some-odd percent, I believe, male. Um, Only about 20 percent of white males voted for Biden. You've got to figure that in the Guard, which is predominantly more conservative, and I see that on my social media and we know it, they're probably not more than 25 percent of the people that are there protecting us who voted for Biden. The other 75 percent are in the class that would be uh, the the large class of folks who might want to uh, uh, do something. So if you're white, you're dangerous, says a sitting member of Congress. That clip was from January. Of course, that was the same month that Lloyd Austin announced he was cracking down on this extremism. Then a few months later, reading from the same song sheet, Mark Milley told the U.S. Congress he was working to root out white rage in the military. Okay. And yet after all of this, because we're keeping score, as of today, we're not aware of a single white supremacist on active duty who has been discovered by the Pentagon and fired. Not one. So that threat didn't exist at all. It was fake. That was all a lie. Several National Guard troops were relieved of duty around the inauguration, though no one has ever explained why they were fired. Okay, so he just pretends that they say something that they didn't say, and then attacks that argument instead of what they actually said. Yeah. Can you even have a worse argument? Like, that's like, like a straw man is like, the lowest common denominator bad argument <laughs> yeah it's pretty pathetic like the and I'll, I'll i'll say i don't think that that congressman at least in the clip they played i don't think that, like his wording was great um like it's not necessarily that like people who voted for biden are are the ones that we're not worried about it's more like the people who support extremist ideologies <laughs> but like I, I i get what he meant what I want to focus on more is this claim Tucker is making that extremism in the military isn't a big deal, that it's a made up problem. So you'll notice that in his framing, Tucker is making the point that no white supremacists in the military have been identified and fired as a result of this push by Lloyd Austin. Let's take a look at why that might be. My, my primary source for this bit is an article in, in the New Republic by Tanya Levin, which was the best single piece of reporting I was able to find about the issue of extremism in, in the military. 
one of the main points that I want to make is that Secretary Lloyd Austin's current push to root out extremism is not the first time that the military has attempted to address this problem. In fact, it's the fourth. The first directive was issued in 1986 by Defense Secretary Casper, Casper Weinberger, who ordered military personnel to reject supremacist organizations. That directive failed to stop a former Marine named T.J. Layden, who had two-inch SS bolts tattooed above his collarbone, from serving from 1998 to 1991 while openly supporting neo-Nazi causes. Uh, Layden was a member of the Hammerskin Nation, a skinhead group, and he said that he hung a swastika from his locker while he was serving in the military, and he was only required to take it down when a commanding officer politely asked him to ahead of inspections by by a commanding general. Quote from Layden, I went in the Marine Corps for one specific reason. I would learn how to shoot. I also learned how to use C4 explosives to blow things up. I took all my military skills and said I could use these to train other people. Layden has since renounced the white power movement and is a consultant for, for the anti-Nazi group, the Simon Weisenthal Center. But the, the, this directive didn't stop him from openly supporting neo-Nazi causes in the military and hanging a fucking swastika on his locker only a few years later. The hate group with the <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Keep it. Just take it down before the commander comes in. Like, yeah, like, oh, it doesn't look good. I mean, I know you're cool. I know you're cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This looks bad. <laughs> um, the hate group with the longest history of ties to the military was the KKK. The Klan originally formed out of Confederate veterans after the Civil War but the Klan actively, actively and openly recruited from the U.S. military for decades after. In the 1920s, the KKK even had an official chapter aboard a U.S. Navy battleship. World War II veterans formed the vanguard of the KKK resurgence that fought against the civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s. In 1968, military personnel on an American base in Vietnam paraded in white robes and burned crosses to celebrate the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., in 1976, at Camp Pendleton in California, several Marines wore KKK patches and held Klan meetings on base. When a group of Black Marines tried to break up a Klan meeting, they were charged with assault, while the Klan members were simply transferred to other bases to, quote, defuse the situation instead of being disciplined. The event that actually led to that first anti-extremism directive happened in 1986, when active duty soldiers and Marines were photographed in uniform at a Klan rally with a flag that read, KKK rally, no Jews allowed. It eventually came to light that the troops in that photo had joined a paramilitary group formed by a retired Army Special Forces Master Sergeant, who prosecutors said was training to overthrow the government. That Master Sergeant was later convicted of murder. Flyers for Klan recruitment drives were showing up in military bases as recently as 2014. The second directive against extremism in the military came in 1995 after the Oklahoma City bombing where both perpetrators, Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols, were former military, and the bombing resulted in the deaths of 168 people. But like the first anti-extremism directive, the second one did little to actually address the problem. In December of that same year, an active-duty army paratrooper named James Burmeister II shot and killed two black civilians who he had chosen at random in hopes of earning a spiderweb tattoo, a symbol in neo-Nazi circles that shows that you have killed a black person. Burmeister had joined a racist skinhead group after arriving at Fort Bragg as a member of the 82nd Airborne Division, and had been singing extremist songs and giving Nazi salutes, according to testimony. 
the murders prompted an army-wide investigation of racism in the ranks. The probe found 22 soldiers at Fort Bragg, including Burmeister and two other soldiers charged in the killings, with extremist sympathies. A public records request by the Watchdog Group American Oversight revealed 13 major investigations into overt extremist activity in the U.S. Navy and Marine Corps over the past 20 years, including two enlisted Navy men who savagely beat a black man after leaving a neo-Nazi rally in 2000. The Navy records, which include, quote, investigations into allegations of white supremacist assault, theft, verbal abuse, threats, and even gang crimes between 1997 and 2020, resulted in not a single court-martial, the only way to obtain a dishonorable discharge. Instead, troops accused, even of felonious hate crime activity, were let go quietly under administrative discharge, quote, under honorable conditions. In 2000, a Navy enlistee named Jacob Lasky who had a chest tattoo of a swastika, assaulted a black man with a broken bottle. Lasky was administratively discharged without a court-martial and went on to be convicted for throwing rocks etched with swastikas through the windows of a synagogue while the service was in progress. In 2012, a former U.S. Army soldier named Wade Page opened fire with a 9mm handgun on a Sikh temple in Wisconsin, murdering six people and wounding three others before killing himself during a shootout with police. Prior to this event, Wade had given an, inter- given an interview to a researcher named Pete Simi, where Wade explained that he'd become a neo-Nazi after joining the military in 1992. A former soldier who had served with Wade said that Wade openly espoused racist views until 1998, when he was demoted from sergeant to specialist. And the third directive against extremism in the military came in 2009 after a Department of Homeland Security security report expressed concern that right-wing extremists were recruiting veterans returning from wars overseas. The Pentagon's 2009 instruction directed commanders to remain alert for signs of racist activity and and to intervene when they see it. It also banned soldiers from blogging or chatting on racist websites while on duty. Like the previous two directives, this one failed to accomplish much. In 2017, half a dozen current and former service members were linked to Adam Waffen, a violent white supremacist group with a couple of murders under its belt. Famously, at the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville in 2017, a photo went viral of a college student named Peter Satanovich, holding a flaming torch in hand. Satanovich was enlisted in the National Guard and described himself as an officer candidate online. Despite the photograph's ubiquity and numerous interviews in which he delineated his white supremacist views, it took the National Guard months to boot him from their ranks. In 2019, a series of investigations by the Huffington Post uncovered 11 active-duty military personnel who were members of the white nationalist group Identity Europa, which itself was founded by a former Marine named Nathan D'Amigo. Of those 11 service members, six were discharged, but five were allowed to remain in their posts. In 2020, Christopher Hassan, a Coast Guard lieutenant, was sentenced to 13 years in prison after he was found to be stockpiling guns, knives, and tactical gear in his Maryland apartment. Hassan was fixated on white white nationalist ideology, particularly the manifesto of mass murderer Anders Breivik, and had devised a plot to assassinate various liberal politicians and cable news hosts. Also in 2020, a 22-year-old paratrooper named Ethan Meltzer, serving in the Army's 173rd Airborne Brigade in Italy, was intercepted before he could carry out a planned ambush on members of his own unit, in what Department of Justice investigators described as a potential mass casualty event. Meltzer was affiliated with the Order of the Nine Angels, a radical and violent sect centered on anti-Semitism, reverence of Adolf Hitler, and white supremacy.
And while those two plots were thwarted before they could come to fruition, that was not the case with Stephen Carrillo, an enlisted soldier who was affiliated with the Boogaloo movement. In the summer of 2020, Carrillo, an Air Force sergeant and a self-described Boogaloo boy, killed a federal security officer at a California federal courthouse and seriously injured another. Carrillo became the subject of a wide-ranging manhunt, which culminated in a gunfight with California Highway Patrol officers. Carrillo ambushed the officers with a silenced semi-automatic rifle and homemade pipe bomb, killing one and wounding two others. During the gunfight, Carrillo sent a message to members of his Boogaloo group on WhatsApp, requesting backup, and scrawled the word Boog on the hood of a car with his own blood. In October of 2020, Lance Corporal Joseph Mercurio, a Marine with the 2nd Battalion of the 4th Marine Regiment, who was responsible for handling machine guns in direct combat, made threatening posts on Instagram toward a journalist named Talia Levin. Quote, the Jewish religion is that of Satan, he wrote. His username was Joe88Mercurio. For anyone who doesn't know, 88 is a neo-Nazi code for Heil Hitler, because H is eighth letter of the alphabet. Mercurio's Instagram also included a quote from Richard Spencer, There is no equality in nature, there's difference. And lyrics from a song by a white supremacist band called Screwdriver, from a song lauding Nazi troops as forces of light in a holy war. Mercurio's Facebook page also included cartoons from the Daily Stormer, accusations that Trump had betrayed the U.S. for Israel's sake, and comparisons of BLM protesters to wild animals. After this came to light, a Marine spokesperson said that they would conduct a thorough investigation of Mercurio's conduct. Six months later, when Levin followed up to find out what consequences had befallen Mercurio, she found out that he was still deployed, still, still assigned to the same battalion, and still training in his assigned role as a machine gunner, but that he had, quote, not been sent for advanced training since being investigated. To take a more big-picture view of this, an analysis by the University of Maryland's National Consortium for the Study of Terrorism and Responses to Terrorism, or START, which for some reason is the acronym for that, <laughs> looked at 354 individuals with military backgrounds charged or convicted of criminal acts linked to extremist ideology. It found that the average number of cases jumped from six per year in 1990 through 2010 to almost 21 cases per year over the past decade. The increase was largely driven by spikes in 2017, 2020, and 2021. Each of these years were marked by issues that mobilized comparatively large numbers of U.S. extremists, the study said. These include the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, the COVID-19 pandemic, racial justice protests, the U.S. presidential election in 2020, and the Capitol breach on January 6th of 2021. Speaking of the Capitol riots, Almost 15% of the 563 individuals facing charges in connection with the siege have connections to the U.S. military, though the analysis said the vast majority were no longer serving as active duty members at the time. So my point here is, Lloyd Austin's directive to root out extremism in the military is nothing new. And historically, those, those directives have, have a pretty shitty track record of doing much of anything. Currently, by its own admission, the Department of Defense doesn't have a clue about the, about the scope of this problem. An article published on defense.gov in late March, citing Pentagon Press Secretary John F. Kirby, stated that, quote, the Defense Department doesn't have an idea about the scope of an extremism problem in the ranks. In lieu of hard information, Austin's stand down merely focused on service members recommitting to the oath of service and reviewing impermissible behaviors. So when Tucker gloats that nobody has been fired from the military as a result of this push, it's important that we're clear about why that might be. These pushes to root at extremism aren't taken all that seriously in the first place, 
and individuals guilty of this conduct almost never face consequences and are almost never fired. Often, this results in terrorist violence. Holy shit, Troy. (laughs) (laughs) So, So not only have tons of people been kicked out of the military for white nationalist violence um many have been guilty of white nationalist or white nationalist ideology and allowed to remain (laughs) and i think that is worse yeah so when tucker pretends that this is a made-up problem or not a big deal he is he he's just wrong like there's no way lying Frankly, um, I'm shocked that a program designed to instill ultranationalism into mostly young men uh, has resulted in such widespread <laughs> terrorism. Yeah, and some of the reading I did about this was interesting in that, like, part of the reason that it's hard for the military to crack down on this in a meaningful way is that the military and white supremacist groups are largely trying to recruit from the same pool of people, like, young mostly white midwestern males with who might be kind of you know rudderless or aren't attending college or um, yeah so it, it, it it's hard to like crack down on things that appeal to those people while also trying to recruit those same people right tucker uh from here tucker makes this about vaccine mandates in the, in the military and he makes a, a really bizarre claim Then in August, Lloyd Austin came up with a new political purity test. This one was specifically designed to separate the obedient from the free. Can't have any of the latter category. Austin said he planned to fire anyone in the entire armed services who would not submit to the COVID-19 vaccination shot. Didn't matter whether they had natural immunity or not, as many in the military do. Their personal, moral, or religious objections were totally irrelevant. The point was to bow before his authority and the authority of the Democratic Party. No excuses, no exceptions. Quote, I have determined, Austin said, that mandatory vaccination against COVID-19 is necessary to protect the force and defend the American people. Period. No debate. So what's the scientific justification for this? Well, of course, there isn't any. There is zero scientific basis for any of this. The fighting strength of the military is young, healthy people, virtually all of them at extremely low risk of dying from COVID. In fact, to this day, only 46 members of the entire U.S. military have died from the coronavirus over the last year and a half. Suicides, by contrast, kill many, many times more. In just a few months last year, 156 servicemen killed themselves. So military suicide is an actual crisis that the Pentagon might want to address. Lloyd Austin might want to look into that. But no, that would get the Democratic Party nothing. The point of mandatory vaccination is to identify the sincere Christians in the ranks, the free thinkers, the men with high testosterone levels, and anyone else who does not love Joe Biden and make them leave immediately. It's a takeover of the U.S. military. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) So they're trying to weed out the sincere Christians and the men with high testosterone levels, <sighs> which is an incredibly stupid read of the situation. <laughs> There's no scientific basis for vaccination. That's yeah. It, gee, why might you want your, your fighting force to not be sick with one of the deadliest plagues we've ever had? <laughs> And like, even if you have a mild case of COVID, there's still the, there's still the possibility of long-term um, 
long-term damage. Like there's some evidence that there's long-term damage to your heart. That's possible. Long-term cardiac damage. And then um, th- there are like these taste and smell and stuff. Yeah. And like, there are these brain fog symptoms. Like my, my wife had COVID in, in November and it was about nine months that she would still have these days where she said she was just like foggy and had trouble thinking clearly and felt like she was like moving through syrup. There are reasons to want to protect against this, even if it might not kill them. Yeah. And like with Delta variant stuff coming out, which is deadlier than the previous variant, um, it is an even stronger case for getting vaccinated so that the virus doesn't continue to mutate and get worse and make it more likely to kill younger people. And like, even if they, he talks about if people are really young people are really unlikely to die from covid i don't care i i don't want people to get sick either yeah and like but and and then i like his little false equivalency there of like oh well maybe we should be paying attention to suicide rates what about suicide we can do that too tucker they're not like they're not mutually exclusive ah he's he's so frustrating yeah, like I, I'm like angry that I don't have more to say. Like I, I'm like he's just so fucking annoying. <laughs> yeah, and this like we've been doing thirty episodes of this, so at this point, like we, we kind of know his baseline lies, and we're just like, shut the fuck up, Tucker. <laughs> yeah, right. But shut the fuck up, he doesn't. Uh, instead, he wants to talk about this dumb PowerPoint that he, that somebody sent them. Well, he hasn't listened to our podcast yet. So he know. Here's how they're doing it. This show has just obtained a PowerPoint that the army is using to justify mandatory vaccines to the troops. This is an actual slide from it on your screen. You will notice there the sympathetic portrayal of Satanism. How many children were sacrificed to Satan because of the vaccine? The slide reads apparently sarcastically. Then the presentation proceeds to list the so-called tenets of Satanism, which are taken straight from the Temple of Satanism website. So here you have the United States Army doing PR for Satanism. The rest of the presentation is less shocking than that, but it's utterly shoddy and dishonest. For example, it falsely claims that only three people have died from taking the COVID vaccine. Reports collected by the Biden administration itself indicate that number is actually in the thousands. So we called the Army about this today, and they can see the PowerPoint you just saw is absolutely real. Troops saw it. But it was somehow not approved by army, army leadership. They did not explain how that works or what they're going to do about it. So when Tucker says that the real number of people who've died from the vaccine is in the thousands, according to the Biden administration's own data, he's talking about the VAERS database, which we talked about before. It's not, not a reliable metric in the way that he's trying to use it mm-hmm. um, because he, he's just taking the number of like, this is the number of people we've who've been reported that they died within a certain window of time after taking the vaccine. It, it's not a statement of causality. Right. Um, and theirs cannot be used to draw causal relations. It's more just like a, a way for medical professionals to identify potential trends that are worth looking into. Right. Um, but I want to talk more about the Satanism PowerPoint. So <laughs> I, uh, I, I couldn't find anybody who wasn't crazy reporting on this. So I don't know exactly how it got made, but just looking at the slides that that have been released, I was able to make a couple of inferences. So the the slide in particular that they're mad about, it has a picture of um, Satan 
and some people kneeled around him worshiping. And it says, uh, how many children were sacrificed to Satan for the vaccine? And then on the right, it lists the seven, ten- the seven tenets of Satanism as taken from the, the Church of Satan's website. Interestingly, one of those tenets is one's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. But I think what's more telling about this is the heading of this slide, which says, questions from Friday. So <laughs> when you're like, why, why do they have a slide that says how many children were sacrificed to Satan for the vaccine? It, what it looks like is happening here is that that was a question that somebody submitted on Friday. And part of this PowerPoint presentation is answering questions that they received. So whoever submitted this question you now is, is some kind of jackass. And they, they did yeah. kind of like a, a tongue-in-cheek answer here. <sighs> okay. So then uh, Tucker, he wants to talk about the Navy SEALs. And uh, you, you might call them the American KSK. <laughs> and, uh, and he, yeah, this, is, this is dumb. We do know the vaccine mandate is taking a terrible toll on the U.S. military and on this country's ability to defend itself at a very volatile time in the world. Already three members of the CIA paramilitary teams that first entered Afghanistan after 9-11, remember them? They got there before the military. Three members of that team have been suspended for not getting vaccinated. They're being told to await disciplinary proceedings. Meanwhile, an Army officer, Lieutenant Colonel Paul Douglas Haig, just announced that he's resigning from the military rather than take medicine that he does not want or need. In a statement, Hoag said he was, quote, incapable of injecting myself, subjecting myself to the unlawful, unethical, immoral, and tyrannical order to sit still and allow a serum to be injected into my flesh against my will and better judgment, end quote. There are many like him in the U.S. military. The Navy just informed the most famous unit in the entire services, the Navy SEALs, that members will be forced to leave if they don't take the shot. It does not matter if they have natural immunity, and many do. It doesn't matter if they have a valid religious or medical exemption. If they don't submit to the order, they cannot deploy and they'll have to leave the SEALs. The deadline for this is almost immediately. Now, to be clear, just in case you're wondering if this is in response to some kind of crisis, we don't believe a single Navy SEAL has died of COVID, and that makes sense. These are some of the healthiest people, not just in America, but in the world. They're the Olympic athletes of the military. Many of them have had the virus, they live in close quarters, and they've recovered. That means they have more natural immunity than the vaccine could ever provide. And yet, as of tonight, we're hearing that hundreds of Navy SEALs face being fired imminently for refusing to take the shot. Now, keep in mind, there are only about 2,500-ish active duty Navy SEALs. Each one of them costs at least a half a million dollars for the U.S. government to train. So imagine the effect on our country's military readiness of this. It's horrifying. If you love the country, you would not do this. You would also not disable our hospitals by forcing nurses to resign because they don't want to take the shot. Did he really just say that there's no COVID crisis? Is that what he just tried to insinuate? More or less, yeah. Like it, these are the healthiest people in the world. What do they have to worry about? Like I, <laughs> I know, I know he's like trying to be overly specific about. Um, well, okay, COVID's a problem, but it's not a problem with Navy SEALs. It's like it's a problem with everyone, and it's killed four and a half million people worldwide. So, acting like COVID 
isn't a crisis in any context makes you an asshole, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, and this this idea that the vaccine mandate is going to force all these people out who just want to depend on their country and that makes us weaker to invasion. One, the United States does not have to worry about being invaded. Like, just geographically, no. we're borderline uninvadable. But the... No one is being forced to resign. You're being asked not to endanger the people around you. Yeah. Um, Also, I don't believe for a second that any of these people have never received any vaccines before. Like, right. You like, you just get like a chicken pox shot when you're fucking born, basically. (laughs) Yeah. Like you, you, your vaccinations have to be up to date to go into the military. Yeah. This, this isn't some crazy new thing. It's just bullshit. They're just they just don't want to take it for because Tucker told them not to. And then uh he he interviews this guy named Davis Yancey Yance, who I can edit out whichever one of those turns out to be wrong. Uh th- this guy is a lawyer who is representing a few of these Navy SEALs who didn't want to take the shot. I don't think it should surprise any of us that the Navy SEALs are first on the list to be targeted. It's an all-male force. I, you know, I don't know anything about their voting records or even if they vote, but they're exactly the kind of people, if you were planning to control the military for political purposes, you would want gone. Do they feel singled out? I know this is military-wide, but it seems like they're being pressed especially hard, especially early. I think that's accurate. I think my clients in particular, some of my clients are Navy SEALs. They are a very small part of a much larger group of Navy SEALs that feel feel that way. I also have clients that are fighter pilots that feel like they've been forced into the same situation. These to my clients, these are arbitrary deadlines. They don't make sense and they're being given conflicting guidance across the military. And these men are not alone. My clients want the American people to know there are thousands of military members across the formation that feel the same way. And my clients as Christian men, informed by their faith, love their neighbor. They dedicate their lives. They sacrifice their lives to protect innocent life. That's what they're about. And they want this story brought to attention. They want help for the rest of the military. This isn't about them. They're quiet professionals, Tucker. That's what they do. My clients don't want to be famous. They don't want to have books written about them. They want to be able to do their job and serve this country. And they're willing to step out in front because of all the other military members that are out there that don't have a platform like this. This has nothing to do with medicine or science or COVID. And anyone who says otherwise is a moron or a liar. This is about changing the nature of the force, period. And I hope that you can stop it. And I hope that members of Congress wake up immediately and join you in that. Davis Yance, appreciate it. So I find it interesting that that that's just sort of like one of Tucker's go-to impulses in the same way that he thinks immigration is about changing the nature of the country. Vaccine mandates are about changing the nature of the force. Like ideally, like any any policy decisions that he doesn't like are an effort to get rid of people like him. Which just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And who does that serve? Like if it were true that the Democrats, I guess, are trying to change the political landscape of the military a vaccine mandate isn't a particularly good way to do that it's a really fringe subset of people that <laughs> are gonna not take a vaccine yeah like if it ostensibly what tucker what what he thinks the long game here is 
is that the the military will become an enforcement apparatus of the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Most people who take a vaccine still aren't going to betray the American populace in service of like a political coup. <laughs> it's that, yeah, that's absurd. So, oh, and then and then Davis Yance was going about how um how much these people care about their neighbors, but they can't endure getting poked in the arm. I'm, I feel so protected and served. And that's, that's all I, that's all I cut from Monday. Now we're going to get into Tuesday's show and here. So Tucker has been talking a lot about these immigrants from Haiti uh, convalescing at the border and under this, under this bridge in, in Del Rio. Um. (sighs) And I like he he did a big segment about it Monday too, but just because it's almost all the same, I'm going to focus on his monologue on Tuesday. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. A disaster in Texas at this hour, not just for Texas but for the entire country. Thousands of illegal migrants, most of them from Haiti, flooding over into Del Rio, Texas tonight. Many, many more, many thousands more on the way. Tens of thousands, apparently. Our own Bill Malugin has been on this story from the very beginning. He is live tonight along our southern border. He joins us now. Hey, Bill. Yeah, so he's got Bill Malugin out there. He's got his drone back, so he's a very happy boy. <laughs> um, and, and Bill Malugin is like, this doesn't look like America. This looks like, like something out of the third world. Sounds uh, like something a racist would say about brown people. <laughs> yeah, so let's just be very clear up front. Like the, the reason that we're seeing an influx of people from Haiti so in 2010, there was a severe earthquake in Haiti um, that destroyed a lot of Haitian infrastructure, and from which many parts of the many parts of of Haiti still haven't recovered. Um, that was kind of the initial uh, diaspora a, a decade ago. More recently, there's been political turmoil culminating in the assassination of the Haitian president, in which the prime minister is implicated, and also some company in Florida. It's a weird story. And then shortly after the assassination of the president, there was another severe earthquake. And and now they're facing a lot of flooding and other disasters like that. So there are good reasons for people not to want to stay in Haiti right now. Yeah, sounds like it. Um, Tucker's going to make the claim, like a lot of these people that haven't been in Haiti for years, like it, what he's referring to is many, ha- many Haitians after that initial earthquake and in the years following. Um, a large number of them went to Brazil because there are opportunities for work in, with like the 2014 World Cup and the 2016 Olympics. Um, and then many of them from there went to uh, Chile for construction opportunities. But it, it's been harder for them to go to Chile in recent months because of stricter uh, mi- migration rules there relating to like COVID lockdowns and things. Okay. So um, we're seeing now... a. A large influx of Haitian migrants coming to the U.S. It's important to note here that Tucker's coverage of this is entirely divorced from reality because he's going to act like there are just thousands of these people pouring in and being released into the United States. Divorced from reality? That doesn't sound like anything that Tucker Carlson would do. (laughs) The reality of the situation is that the Biden administration has deported a lot of these Haitian immigrants. Specifically, they're they're deporting people under Title 42, uh, which is continuing a practice that the Trump administration used. 
Title 42, it, it allows expulsions or removals by the U.S. government of persons who have recently been in the country where a communicable disease was present. Biden has come under criticism from activists and people on the left for continuing these de- these Title 42 deportations of Haitian migrants. Yeah, He's, fuck Biden for that. Yeah, honestly. Cur- <laughs> like, currently, they're, they're sending four planes a day full of Haitian deportees. So... The, the the Biden administration's policy is not even especially receptive to these people, and yet it that doesn't like the reality on the ground doesn't matter in Tucker's world, and no. I, that's that's worth noting. The U.S. envoy to Haiti even resigned over the Biden administration's inhumane deportations. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, uh, that that guy was named Daniel Foot. He was appointed in July. Foote wrote to Secretary of State Anthony Blinken that he was stepping down immediately, quote, with a deep disappointment and apologies to those seeking crucial changes. I will not be associated with the United States' inhumane, counterproductive decision to deport thousands of Haitian refugees and illegal immigrants to Haiti, a country where American officials are confined to secure compounds because, they're, because of the danger posed by armed gangs to daily life, he wrote. Our policy approach to Haiti remains deeply flawed and my policy recommendations have been ignored and dismissed while not edited to project a narrative different from my own. So even in the terms that Tucker is trying to operate on, this is not, this is not a crisis in the way he's billing it. But that, that doesn't stop him from being, uh, being very, very alarmed about the situation at the border. So how completely out of control is the situation on our southern border in Texas? Well, for one example, on Friday, just the other day, the Border Patrol checkpoint near El Indio, Texas, directly across the Rio Grande from Mexico, was completely unmanned. There was nobody there. You could have driven a truck full of fentanyl or illegal aliens directly into the United States without being stopped or questioned or checked or anything. No doubt people did that. Notice how he does this. No doubt people did that. He has no evidence. There's no reporting that this happened. Just oh yeah, uh, obviously they carried truckloads of fentanyl in if there was nobody there. Right now, what's worth noting is that these checkpoints were unmanned because border patrol agents are being diverted to the bridge under Del Rio, trying to manage the situation there. Then two days later, just this Sunday, the border patrol checkpoint on U.S. Highway 57, just east of Eagle Pass, Texas, was also totally unmanned. Again, no one there. 18-wheelers drove right over the bridge from a country in the middle of a drug war and then sped off into the interior of the United States. God knows what was in those trucks. We will never know. So if Joe Biden really has opened America's borders to the world, that is not a Republican talking point, hardly. It is completely real. Except it's not, and there have been thousands of deportations. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, and then he's, he's going to make some claims about Haiti specifically. And tonight, there are many more coming. Several large groups of Haitians are moving up from various countries in Latin America, where they've been living, to come here. To be perfectly clear, these are not refugees. They are not being persecuted by any government. And that's why they have not applied for asylum in any of the countries between Haiti and the United States. And there are many of them. Instead, these are economic migrants. They're rich enough for a plane ticket and a smartphone, but they're eager for the free health care, the education, the housing vouchers, food stamps, and much more that Joe Biden has promised them if they make it to the United States. So, of course, they're coming from Haiti and from the rest of the world. You would, too. They'd be crazy not to come. So this is another one of his standard lies that, that oh, they're, they're going to get free health care and all these social benefits when they come here. That 
It's just not true. We've, no. we've covered it more thoroughly in previous episodes, and it's been long enough that I probably should should do a thorough analysis again. Um, and I'm sure we'll have an opportunity soon because he says this all the fucking time, and it's not true. And then, of course, we, we circle back to our, our favorite old narrative. Once they get here, the Biden administration plans to give them voting rights. That's in the works right now. So the people you just saw on your screen could very well be choosing your president at some point down the road. This is a manufactured crisis. This is an attempt to change the demographics of the United States in order to give permanent power to the Democratic Party. That's all it is, no matter what they tell you. First of all, probably not true. Second, um, we should give them voting rights if they live here. But I strongly doubt that's the position of the Biden administration. <laughs> yeah, and the, the, these proposals he's talking about to grant citizenship to undocumented people, it's uh, at minimum a five-year path to citizenship, even if it were to pass. Right. Um, again, this is just so divorced from reality. Like, the Biden administration wants all these Haitian immigrants here to empower Democrats forever, which is why the Democratic president is deporting them by the thousands. <laughs> it's, it's, and um, and in, and making the path to citizenship take longer than his next re-election cycle. And then, the, the, but this is about Tyler. Th- this is about those working class Americans who are just struggling to get by. Parts of our country are already very poor. Leave Martha's Vineyard sometime, and you'll discover that America could be on the brink of getting much poorer. This is the last thing we need, and it was preventable, very easily preventable. The United States government holds tremendous sway over the Mexican economy. So with a single phone call, Joe Biden could have made absolutely certain that the Mexican government sent these migrants back to where they came from. But Joe Biden has not called to do that. And he hasn't because he wants these migrants here in the United States. And so they are coming. He did this on purpose. Thousands of Haitians, as you just saw, have swarmed Del Rio, Texas, which is not a big town. As of this morning, there were close to 7,000 so-called family units under the bridge there. More than 300 of those units included a pregnant woman. All of these migrants, says the Biden administration, will be allowed to stay in the United States, no questions asked. And the children born here will, of course, instantly become American citizens. None of these people, you should know this because it's telling, will undergo any kind of background check, like the background check you endure if you were to try to, say, buy a 12-gauge according to your constitutional rights. None of them either will be forced to abide by vaccine mandates. So you need the shot to work as a nurse or for the sanitation department or anywhere. But you don't need a shot to come into our country illegally at the request of the Biden administration. I really hate when conservatives talk about um, foreign governments sending people or like you we need to call we need to call their dad and send them back home (laughs) like. That's not how it works. Like people have a right to leave if they want. Like the government doesn't just like round up its people and say, "Hey, we're shipping you off to America." Like, yeah, they're not what sending. What world their best do you Tyler. live in? And he he's lying again about the background check situation. So, the, the the Biden administration recently extended temporary relief from deportations to about one hundred and fifty thousand Haitians already living in the United States, granting them temporary protected status. But tens of thousands have tried to cross into the country since then, despite not qualifying for the program, which only covers those who entered by July 29th, which is before the recent earthquake. 
To qualify for that temporary protected status, Haitians granted protection receive work and travel authorization, but must satisfy background checks to remain eligible for the benefits. So the the people who are, are being authorized to stay in the country are undergoing background checks. Okay, it's really easy to knock down made-up enemies, isn't it, Tucker? <laughs> um, and then here, he, he he's going to play a clip of Ilhan Omar. Um, it, I'll, three guesses as to as to what what another one of our favorite lives he goes back to. Got a got a couple ideas. So, how could you defend this if you believed in, let's say, law? How would you defend what's happening? Well, you couldn't. There's no way to defend it. These are illegal aliens. They're not refugees. They are breaking the law with the help of the federal government. How is that okay? Well, no one in the Democratic Party bothers to explain how it's okay. Instead, they deflect. They denounce anyone who asks and calls that person a, can you guess? Can you guess what they call people who ask questions? Here's Ilhan Omar to remind you. What we have seen was cruel inhumane and a violation of domestic laws and international laws. We owe Haitians the, uh, the, the right thing of allowing them um, to, to seek asylum here. When it comes to our immigration policy for so many years, cruelty uh, has been very much embedded in it. Um, there is obviously systematic racism at play here. Oh, yeah. So it's systematic racism to point out lawbreaking by foreign nationals, says the lady who married her own brother in order to scam American immigration law. Now somehow Elon Omar is a, quote, lawmaker, and she's calling you a racist if you don't like the fact that as a lawmaker, she is openly subverting the laws of the country that rescued her from a refugee camp in Kenya. Right. That's the new America. Yeah, so that's pretty racist. Yeah. Okay, a couple of things. Uh, Tucker, it's systemic racism, not systematic racism. I know you're trying your hardest to systematically be racist against everyone in <laughs> this country, um, but that's not what she was talking about. Second, if you, I, I don't, I didn't write down the whole quote, but if you believe in law, we make up the laws. They aren't handed down on stone tablets from... Oh, that's a bad example. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, like, it, laws can be changed. It's not, it's, it's not like... <sighs> also, the law allows for immigration. It, it's not illegal to immigrate here. Yeah, and Elon Omar did not marry her brother, for anybody who's curious. <laughs> Right, we we talked about that. Is that last yeah. week or earlier? Oh, it was that? a few weeks ago, but a few weeks ago. She also did not say that anyone who opposes immigration is racist. She said that some of the structural problems making it hard for people to immigrate here result from syst- systemic racism, which, as we've said a hundred times, is not so much about any individual action or condemning any individual person. It's about systems. Yeah, broader structures that are in place that affect everyone, regardless of whether or not they, they're individually racist. Right. Um, that fundamental misunderstanding belies so much of Tucker's outrage. So waiting under the bridge in Del Rio tonight is the Democratic Party's future electoral majority. That's what it really is, and that's why they're protected, so they can do whatever they want. 
But how about you? You're an American. You were born here. You remember a free and egalitarian America, a country where the same laws applied to everyone, no matter what color they were. What about you? Are you allowed this latitude? No. You're merely in the way. Keep your nose clean, Mr. American citizen. Don your obedience mask, get your shot, pay your taxes, and shut up. You are yesterday's constituency. Nobody cares what you think. That is the message. Jesus Christ, Tucker. Could you just not for a minute? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He like he's done a bunch of nearly identical segments about Haiti in recent days. And I, I picked this one to cover because this is the one where he's like the most aggressive and almost like unhinged. Like he, he he's really, really hammering this. He's gonna interview uh fascist ghoul Stephen Miller. Why is he still around? Come on. <laughs> I know, right? Can we deport Stephen Miller? Um, Back to whatever planet he came from. Did you know that when Stephen Miller was in high school, he called into Larry Elder's radio show all the time to talk about how, how liberal his high school was? You just can't make this shit up, can you? Like, <laughs> a high schooler calling into Larry Elder's show. Okay. All and right. then Larry Elder was like, I hope I live to see you become president someday. It's like Stephen Miller is a black hole of charisma. And he got to work in the White House anyway. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't see this man ever being elected to anything, but I'm sure that he'll be in Ron DeSantis's cabinet. Don't make me think about that. Trump. Stephen Miller is a former advisor to the Trump White House. He joins us tonight to assess what we're seeing this this seems like a complete collapse and a disaster. You know, I don't. Cable News is famous for overstatement. I don't want to. I don't want to be that guy. But that the pictures suggest it. Well, how do you assess it? The only danger right now, Tucker, is that we understate the problem. Okay. The only danger is that we fail to convey to people what is happening before our very eyes. Every few days, a camp the size of Del Rio is admitted into our country, day after day, week after week. Let me tell you a story. I was talking to a frontline immigration officer who works in Arizona. He says that people from all around the world, they book flights to Tijuana, they book flights to northern border towns in Mexico, they pay a small bus fare to drive one hour to the border in Arizona, they walk up to border agents, they turn themselves in, children, families, teenagers, and single adults, on the certainty, on the certainty that they will be admitted into the country. That is how mad things have gotten. You know, Benjamin Franklin said when describing our form of government that we have a republic if you can keep it. It is not hyperbole but fact to say that at this moment in time we do not have a republic because the basic principle of a republic is self-government by citizens. Right. And so That's if you right. have millions of uninvited people and the citizens of this country have no ability to exercise control over who can join the polity, then it is no longer a republic because all of your work, all of your sweat, all of your toil will go to benefit people who have no right to be here. That's where we are right now. He was really trying to make it sound like riding a bus was something evil people do. That was, <laughs> I, I already said it in the last segment. Immigration is legal. People can do that. You're you're allowed. <laughs> it's always so zero sum with these people. Like, if we're doing things to benefit immigrants, then you're losing out. Which yeah, like 
if immigrants did get free health care, it stands to reason that I would also get free health care. And that'd be pretty cool. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> I don't think I have the clip, but there's another point where Tucker says something to the effect of um, most Americans support some form of universal health care. How's that going to work with open borders? Go go to, go look at a hospital emergency room right now and just imagine how that'll work if we allow more people in here. Well, yeah, if everyone heard. got vaccinated, then our hospitals wouldn't be so full, first of <laughs> yeah. all. Like when we're talking about healthcare, conservatives always want to make a boogeyman out of the wait times. It's like wait times might be longer because more people are able to get health care, which I'm okay with. So that they don't die, you know? Yeah, and and you, you probably will want to like hire more medical professionals, which would also be easier if people could afford to go to med school, you know? Yeah. Like that, there are a whole lot of problems we have, but oh yeah, for sure. solving them does not require us to shut our doors to, to the rest of the world. Bus riders. <laughs> Those nefarious bus riders. <laughs> Seriously. Like he was talking like, like this is so terrifying. It's like they take the bus to a gate. <laughs> yeah. Like what? And then they're going to get into, um, you know, why hasn't the governor of Texas solved this problem? You know, I, I, I've asked this before, and I don't want to single out the governor of Texas, who I think is a, a nice person. I agree with him on a lot and everything, Greg Abbott. But it seems to me the only solution I can think of anyway is for the Texas National Guard to say, it's our state, we're securing our border, you can't do this. And, and if that provokes some kind of crisis with the federal government, so be it. But why doesn't he do that? Is there some reason that I can't think of? Well, what you're describing is the use of Article 4, Section 4, and that relates exactly to the point that I was making. It's known as the Guarantee Clause. And it says that the federal government, in effect, shall guarantee to every state a Republican form of government, protection against invasion, and protection against domestic violence. All three, all three of those tests have been failed by the Biden administration. So they're violating their commitments under Article 4, Section 4, which I would argue does in fact empower any border state to control their own sovereign territory. And if they don't, and if somebody doesn't hold this presidency accountable, there won't be a country in a period of time. I agree with that. Greg Abbott is the one man who can stop this. And let's hope he does it tonight for real. Stephen Miller, thank you. Thank you. The Constitution promised us a Republican government, but they're letting Democrats in there. Yeah, maybe they, maybe he just doesn't know what Republican government means. Maybe that's the root of all this. <laughs> No, um, and like there won't be a country after a time. What does that mean, Stephen? Like, I, I, I want, I just want them to give me the 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 step by step of this process. How does allowing immigrants to come in result in the in the destruction of the United States? Like, just give me give me your long view. Yeah, I mean, I think typically they say like our cultures are incompatible. So if we let people in who aren't like us, then they'll change it. And they think that that's destruction. <laughs> um, I wanted to, I wanted to introduce this, a Greg Abbott thread about Tucker wondering why hasn't Greg Abbott used the Texas national guard to stop this? Because that's going to become illustrative of another one of Tucker's tendencies that we've observed since we've been covering him. Uh, here's a clue as to where this is going. 
We open this show with horrifying pictures of what's happened at our southern border, which is completely open, and this country is being invaded. No, that's not an overstatement. More than a million people this year expected by the rest of the world. This has been going on for months, and we've asked Texas Governor Greg Abbott many times to come on this show to explain why he hasn't called the National Guard to seal the Texas border and protect the rest of us from this invasion. Greg Abbott has refused to come on repeatedly. So pretty soon, possibly tomorrow, we plan to invite his primary opponents on this show to describe what they would do if they ran Texas. That might be an interesting conversation. We'd like to give Governor Abbott one more chance to come on sincerely. Please come on and tell us how you plan to save the rest of us from what is happening in your state. Come on, so I can berate you in front of three million people. I don't get why you won't come on. For real? Oh, my God. So then at this point, we're going to get into Wednesday. And... This was the day that made me kind of drop my episode plans and decide to cover this. To start with, here's how Tucker introduces the show on Wednesday. And you've got to ask yourself as you watch the historic tragedy that is Joe Biden's immigration policy, what's the point of this? Nothing about it is an accident, obviously. It's intentional. Joe Biden did it on purpose. But why? Why would a president do this to his own country? No sane first world nation opens its borders to the world, promising the poorest people on the planet that they can have endless free taxpayer funded services if they show up and break your laws. That's not just stupid, it's suicidal. For generations, middle class Americans have had access to the best health care in the world, but not anymore. That's over for good. Our system cannot handle this many destitute newcomers, period. Imagine what hospitals are going to look like a year from now. How about schools? What Joe Biden is doing now will change this country forever. So again, why is he doing it? There's only one plausible answer. You're not allowed to say it out loud. CNN will attack you if you do. The social media companies will shut you down. The Southern Poverty Law Center will call you dangerous. You could lose your bank account. The left will become completely unhinged and hysterical. And that's how you know it's true. They only censor the true things. Nobody gets in trouble for claiming the earth is flat. So it could be risky for us to explain what's actually happening here, but for once, we don't need to do that. Joe Biden himself has already done it for us. Here's Biden explaining the entire point of mass immigration back in 2015 when he was vice president. An unrelenting stream of immigration, nonstop, nonstop. Folks like me who were Caucasian of European descent for the first time in 2017, we'll be in an absolute minority in the United States of America. Absolute minority. Fewer than 50% of the people in America from then and on will be white European stock. That's not a bad thing. That's a, that's a source of our strength. The, the strongest, richest country in the history of the world is going to be toppled by some bus riders. <laughs> That's your position, Tucker? Really? We can't possibly withstand a few people who weren't born here. <laughs> but we, we need to talk about that clip of Joe Biden that Tucker played from 2015. That Tucker is using as evidence that Biden's plan was an unrelenting stream of immigration to make white people the minority. Oh, Biden's statement of real, like how reality is going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tucker is using this clip as the basis of the argument he's going to build 
that Joe Biden explicitly wants to make white people the minority in this country. And it's important to note that Tucker is taking that clip wildly out of context. Like he actually started that in the middle of a sentence. So it's important that we, we, we talk about what the context of that quote actually is. In 2015, Biden was speaking at the White House summit on countering violent extremism. This was a summit convened after several violent extremist attacks in Europe. And, and, they, and they were talking about ways to, to, to prevent ex- violent extremism from happening in American cities. To speak on this, Biden had invited the, the mayors of four different cities who um, the White House thought were doing a good job reaching out to the immigrant communities and assimilating them. Biden's total speech here was 18 minutes, and I'll link the the whole video in the show notes for anybody who wants to watch it. But the clip I am going to play here um, encompasses the total thought that Tucker cut a cut a minute and a half chunk out of there, and this is about seven minutes. This is a long clip. We can we can interrupt it if we need to, but this is the context that Biden was speaking in in 2015. I want to make it clear, though, I'm not suggesting to uh, the press or any of our guests that I think America has all the answers here. Um, We we just have a lot more experience. By that, I mean we are a nation of immigrants. That's who we are. That is not hyperbole. We talk, we teach our kids we're a melting pot. The God's truth is we are a polygon. We are a melting pot. It is the ultimate source of our strength. It is the ultimate source of who we are, what we become. And it started all the way back in the late 1700s. There's been a constant, unrelenting stream of immigration, not in little trickles, but in large numbers. I had an opportunity to be in in Singapore with uh, Lee Kuan Yew, the former president, who is now 93 years old. And I was talking to him on my way to China to meet with President Xi. And I said he's known as sort of the Henry Kissinger of, of, uh, of Asia, for real. I mean, he's a very wise man. And I, I said to him, I said, what are the Chinese doing now? And he thought, and I, because we were talking about how rapidly a man I've come to know relatively well, President Xi has consolidated power. And he said to me, and speaks perfect English, he said, they're in America looking for the buried black box. And I looked at him just like you're looking at me, like, what's he talking about? He said, they're looking for that secret that allows America to constantly be able to remake itself, unlike any other country in the world. And I said, I can presume to tell you what's in that black box, Mr. President. I'm old enough now. I said, uh, one is that there is, in America, there is an overwhelming skepticism for orthodoxy. From the time a child, whether they're naturalized or they're native-born, they think about it. A child never gets criticized in our education system for challenging orthodoxy, for challenging the status quo. I would argue it's unlike any other large country in the world. So there's a second thing in that black box, an unrelenting stream of immigration, nonstop, nonstop. Folks like me who were Caucasian of European descent for the first time in 2017 will be in an absolute minority in the United States of America, absolute minority, fewer than 50% of the people in America from then and on, will be white European stock. That's not a bad thing. 
That's a, that's a source of our strength. And so we have been, uh, we haven't always gotten it right. I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to suggest we have all the answers, but we have a lot of experience of integrating communities into uh, the American system, the American dream. Um, uh, a generation from now, as I said, uh, things will change even more. Uh, it's not merely that we're a melting pot, but we're proud to be a melting pot. And with that, we've made a lot of mistakes, but we've also made a lot of progress. And, uh, you know, we've learned a lot of hard lessons. But the most important lesson we've learned, we don't always practice it, is that inclusion counts. Let me say that again. Inclusion counts. Inclusion counts. Being brought in and made a part of the community. Whether it was my Irish ancestors with signs, no Irish need apply, and the anti-Catholic movement of the know-nothings in the late 1800s, straight through to how some respond today to the, to the number of uh, um, uh, um, folks in the United States of America that are Hispanic in background. It's always, we've always ultimately overcome it. But it's always been about inclusion, being a part of the whole. As I said, we still have problems, but uh, I'm proud of the American record on culture and economic integration uh, of not only our Muslim communities, but African communities, Asian communities, Hispanic communities, and, and the wave still continues. It's not going to stop, nor should we want it to stop. As a matter of fact, uh, um, it's one of the things I think we can be most proud of. That was a long clip. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I wanted to keep all of it because it, the way that Tucker is about to talk about this, he's saying like Biden, even in 2015, said it was a, a strength that we're going to have fewer white people. And what Biden was saying at that summit was that there's always been a stream of immigration into America. And we've always been able to assimilate those people into like American values and American uh, American society. And that's been our strength. The fact that we are inclusionary of a variety of people with different perspectives, which in a way is the opposite of what Tucker is claiming that they want to import these people to replace white culture. I could stand to learn a thing or two about optimism from this Biden guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. America's granddad. Um, <laughs> deportations by the thousands <laughs> I mean my grandpa did the same thing <laughs> don't we all have a grandpa that's deported a few thousand people <laughs> but yeah so let's go back in now and see how Tucker is going to spin this an unrelenting stream of immigration but why well Joe Biden just said it to change the racial mix of the country. That's the reason, to reduce the political power of people whose ancestors lived here and dramatically increase the proportion of Americans newly arrived from the third world. And then Biden went further. He said that non-white DNA is the, quote, source of our strength. Imagine saying that. This is the language of eugenics. It's horrifying. But there's a reason Biden said it. In political terms, this policy is called the Great Replacement, the replacement of legacy Americans with more obedient people from faraway countries. What I latched onto here 
is that this is the first time Tucker has said the name. He said, in political terms, this theory is called the Great Replacement, um, which he described as replacing a legacy Americans, which is an interesting term, with more obedient people from other countries. Now, this is why I wanted to talk about Wednesday's show, because to me, like, and maybe I'm maybe I'm overanalyzing it because, I mean, he's been pushing the Great Replacement narrative for months, as we've documented. Yeah. But I think it's relevant that he used the name. And I think that's relevant for two reasons. The first is that he started out there as a as a term for this political theory he's enumerating. Right. He said in political terms, this is called the Great Replacement. Of Tucker's, you know, three million viewers, it's easy to imagine, not probably not most, but some percentage of them are like, oh, I want to know more about that. Now they're Googling the Great Replacement Theory. Yeah. Which is a pipeline into some dark, dark corners of the internet, especially if you're already primed to distrust the liberal narrative and media bias about it, you know, so you're, you're probably going to end up on fucking Stormfront. <laughs> right. And that to me is an explicit an explicit call to radicalization. The other reason I think it's significant is because there's now no deniability that Tucker knows exactly what he's doing. Like he's using this term now, he's owning the term and all of the baggage that comes with it, including its its neo-Nazi associations, its history of being a motivating factor in white supremacist violence. Tucker is owning that now. And that, to me, marks an escalation. Hard to, hard to disagree there. No one who talks like this should ever be the president of the United States. The president of the United States has a moral obligation to represent all Americans equally, not just those of a specific color. For four years, remember, they told you that Donald Trump was a racist. But has anyone ever shown that Trump in his entire life said anything half as disgusting as what Joe Biden said on that tape? No, no one's ever shown that. Now, you're not supposed to notice this, of course, and to keep you from noticing what Joe Biden is doing and why, they are, as always, accusing you of their sins. To keep you from noticing the things that Biden isn't doing or saying, they're (laughs) (laughs) making you feel guilty. Yeah, And I, like, it, it is just bait the... Can you point to anything Trump ever said that's half that disgusting? But I'll take the bait just a little. Because <laughs> <laughs> the first time that Trump ever appeared on the pages of the New York Times in the 1970s was when he was being sued by the Department of Justice for racial discrimination. Uh, Kit Brown, a former employee at Trump's castle, said that when Donald and Ivana came to the casino, the bosses would order all the black people off the floor. It was the 80s. I was a teenager, but I remember it. They put us all in the back. You didn't even go with the low-hanging ones. Let's see. Oh, 1991, John O'Donnell, a former president of Trump Plaza Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City, quoted Trump's criticism of a black accountant. Quote, black guys counting my money. I hate it. The only kind of people I want counting my money are short guys that wear yarmulkes every day. I think that, I think that the guy is lazy, and it's probably not his fault. Because laziness is a trait in blacks. It really is. I believe that. It's not anything they can control. Trump later said in a 1997 Playboy interview that the stuff O'Donnell wrote about me is probably true. (laughs) (laughs) 
see. In a 1993 congressional testimony, Trump said that some Native American reservations operating casinos shouldn't be allowed because they don't look like Indians to me. In 2005, Trump publicly pitched what was essentially the, the Apprentice, white people versus black people. He said he wasn't particularly happy with the most recent season of his show, and he was considering, quote, an idea that is fairly controversial, creating a team of successful African Americans versus a team of successful whites. Whether people like that idea or not, it is something reflective of our very vicious world. Oh, man. So I, 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 I could go on. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, fuck that guy. You didn't even go for any of the easy ones, like Mexicans are rapists, or there's fine people on both sides of a Nazi gathering. Yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but then, uh, remember how he was talking about Greg Abbott? The Biden administration has made it clear it's not going to do anything about this, of course. The governor of Texas isn't doing much about it either. That would be Greg Abbott, a Republican. In a matter of moments, Greg Abbott could deploy the National Guard, the Texas National Guard, to shut off the southern border completely, protect his state and the rest of the country. He's refused to do that. Instead, he's deployed just over 1,000 of the 19,000 troops he controls. Why is that? Why not save the country if you have the power to do that? Why not save your own state? We don't know. Greg Abbott refused to come on the show and tell us. In a moment, we'll speak to one of his primary opponents about what should be done to protect all of us. So now he, he gave Greg Abbott one more chance to come on the show. Greg Abbott didn't want to. So now Tucker is going to speak to one of his primary opponents about what Texas should be doing. Just just another example of what we documented a couple times at this point of Tucker using his platform to to bludgeon the Republican Party into what he wants it to be, which is an apparatus for you know white supremacy. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, there's no winning for Greg Abbott in this, in this, like, if you don't come on, you look weak. And if you go on, you look weak. So there's no. Yeah. yeah and that's illustrative to me of how racism is tantamount to everything else for Tucker, because Greg Abbott, I mean, under Greg Abbott and this, this current Republican legislature in Texas, They've enacted some of the most stringently right-wing laws in the country. Like we've talked about the abortion law that makes citizens into anti-abortion bounty hunters. Yep. There's been strict anti, anti-voting le- or anti-voting rights legislation, um, protest crackdown legislation, just across the board. Stuff that Tucker should love is coming out of Texas, but because Greg Abbott isn't doing enough to stop people from coming across the border, he's an enemy. That is interesting. Later on, he he interviews this guy named uh, John Rourke, who um, he's an organizer for the Great American Cleanup, which is a, a, a group that like picks up trash in honor of 9-11. And they they recently did a cleanup around, along the southern border. And Tucker wanted to talk to this guy because he admires what he did. And most of the interview is pretty boring. But at, at a certain point, Tucker says this. And it's left to you who lives in Jupiter, Florida, which is nowhere near Del Rio, Texas, to clean up the mess that the administration made, people who claim to care about the environment. How long before Americans start to take border enforcement into their own hands? God knows. Uh, anyway, John Rourke. along the border are doing that. Yeah, well, you can see why. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you, Tucker. Take border control into their own hands. Yep. Uh, calling for vigilantes now. And... He said, well, you can see why they're doing it. So he, 
he's sympathizing with the idea that people are going to take a border enforcement quote into their own hands. Now there is a history of like civilian border militias in America, and it's not a very, it's not a good history. No. Behind the Bastards actually has an episode about him. It's it's led to some really really horrible shit because you know it's it's not something people should be doing. Um, but in in the same episode, the Tucker now has explicitly endorsed Great Replacement Theory by name. He's also calling on people to take the law into their own hands because the state has failed. In this case, Greg Abbott specifically has failed. Um, and of course, Biden hasn't just failed. He's actively trying to hurt you and make you a minority. So this to me is an implicit call to violence. This is, you're being invaded. Your government is trying to undermine you. Your elected leaders aren't going to help you. So maybe take this into your own hands. This is a call for violence against immigrants. I don't see a whole lot of other, I don't see any other way to interpret that. Yeah, no, I think you're totally right. Um, he's allowed to do this on, on cable news. It's just, this is the world we live in. Yeah. It's, it's dark shit, man. And this is like, I, I put this episode together pretty quickly because I, I had I had this other episode we were gonna do, um, but then last night I got caught up on Tucker's show and I was like, it, "This feels like enough of enough of an ex- escalation that I want us to document it," because I, I I don't see us going anywhere. I don't see us going to any any greener pastures from here. Yeah, it's gonna be real fun. So then. I don't have any more clips from the nightly show, but I do have two clips here from an interview he did two days ago on the Megan Kelly show. And uh, th- this is a new YouTube show she's running. And I, I think we're going to do a bonus episode about this interview at some point. Cause it's kind of interesting. Tucker shares some things about his personal life that I ha- I'd never heard him say before. Um, so it was interesting to me, but the, the two clips I have from it here, they- they're talking about, what holds us together as Americans? And then at, and then from here, Megyn Kelly wants to question him about their response to this great replacement narrative. The downside is it really has a corrosive effect on the society. Imagine if you were black or, or more specifically, if you were a Haitian immigrant and there are a lot of cool, successful Haitian immigrants in this country, particularly in South Florida, and you're just like a normal person, you're watching CNN and you see the president of the United States or Chris Cuomo telling you that Haitians coming here are beaten with whips because they're Haitian. Like, mm-hmm. how does that make you feel about the United States? Does it make you more secure? Does it make you love the country more? Does it make you paranoid? Does it make you feel persecuted? Like this stuff actually hurts people because it's untrue, but it adds to the perception that this is a racist country whose ideals are not worth defending. Like Chris Cuomo, I mean it. I don't think it's an overstatement to say this kind of lying really corrodes what holds us together as a country. Mm-hmm. I know. I love, I've heard you talk about this and I couldn't agree with it more. And I thought you had such, such good sites, insights on how what's left, like what, what kind of morons would take the fabrics that buy, buy, bind us together? You know, our love of country, our patriotism and intentionally try to cut them up and, and let us drift from one another. What's left? What are we a country? What do we have to bind us together? Why would why do we stick together just because of the contiguous nature of the states? Like, where do we go from there? No, it's totally I mean, it, you know, 
This is a very delicate experiment that we're conducting without a lot of precedent, maybe any precedent. There's no precedent for a, you know, a multiracial, multilingual continental country that holds together. If you're China, in the end, you can say, well, we're a Marxist country, we're a market, you know, economy country. It doesn't matter. What you really are is a Han Chinese country. I mean, that's the truth. It's a racial category, Han China, and very self-conscious on the part of the Chinese. So that's a cohesive country, even if it's a volatile country. We've decided, no, we don't define ourselves by our race. We define ourselves by this idea, you know, that we're all in this together to preserve certain rights as enumerated in the Bill of Rights. And if you take that away, then what do you have? Well, you literally have nothing but warring tribes. And if at the same time you have a leadership that encourages people to think of themselves primarily as members of a tribe, then you're just you're pushing us towards civil war. There's no exit. I mean, this really is a cul-de-sac. There's nowhere to go. And, you know, I, I can't imagine the motive for doing this. I think it's the darkest thing I can imagine. It's not about, you know, it's wrong to attack white people or what. Yeah, OK, yes, it is. Of course, it's evil. However, there's a much bigger problem, which is national cohesion. And I, I just I, I'm my jaws open every single day because you can feel where this is going. I mean, we have 50 states. So at certain at a certain point, we're going to balkanize like literally. And if, you know, listeners are interested in what that word, the etymology, of that word, take a look at the history of the Balkans. It's really bad, bloody, horrible, divided, poor, awful. And you just don't want that here. And unfortunately, you know, we're going there until someone figures out a reason for all 50 states to hold together as a as a cohesive country. So Tucker says that as though it's a warning, but knowing him and knowing his rhetoric, I hear it more as a threat. If you keep trying to change this country, then people are going to snap and there's going to be a civil war and it's going to be bloody and horrible. You don't want that here, so maybe stop trying to change the country. If Okay, so if a country isn't racially unified, then the, then the inevitable conclusion is civil war. Like, really? Yeah. It, when he says there's no precedent for a, a, a large multiracial, multilingual, multilingual country, that's just not true. I right. Mean, it, lots, of, lots of European states are, multi, are, are multi-ethnic um, more multilingual than we are. Um, I mean, you have Australia, you have, even to a certain extent, you could argue the Roman Empire, um, which, I mean, he would argue then that we're headed toward a Roman Empire style collapse. With, that's what him and Curtis Yarvin spend a bunch of time talking about. But uh, this is dark stuff, Troy. <laughs> he, he seems to really think that a country with multiple. A multicultural country can't hold together for reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, this is ridiculous. Um, I'm not the same color as that guy, so obviously he's got to die or something. I don't know. Like, what's what's the implication there? <laughs> so then, my my last clip here, because after after he he called out the Great Replacement by name on the previous night's show, um, Megan Kelly. So, so the ADL called for him to be fired again, the Anti-Defamation League. And um, Megan Kelly asked him about that here. 
Now, I want to ask you about that, because as you may or may not know, because Tucker wisely avoids the news media about himself. Um, and that's truly the only way you can survive in cable news. But you get yeah. so much blowback whenever. Well, whenever whatever you do. I mean, frankly, whatever you do, you get blowback. And today there's there's more blowback on on whether you've been pushing for the great replacement theory. And you said that this is going to happen on your show last night. Sure enough, on cue, the ADL comes out and comes after you. Um and I wonder, ADL, is, so I'm not on. Uh, I know that. I don't I even mean, want to be the one to tell you because you do a good job of avoiding I didn't even it. Know that. I mean, what they liar. want you to be fired. They're pushing yet again for you to be to fired, Tucker. It's uh, it's constant. You it's know, constant. the ADL was such a noble organization that had a very specific goal, which was to fight anti-Semitism. That's a virtuous goal. I think they were pretty successful over the years. Now it's operated by a guy who's just a Democratic Party, just a, an apparatchik of the Democratic Party. And I have to say it's important for people with moral authority to stand up and say that, you know, because it's very corrosive for someone to take the residual moral weight of an organization that he inherited mm. and use it for partisan ends, which is what they're doing. So the Great Replacement theory is, in fact, not a theory. It's something that the Democrats brag about constantly, up to and including the president. And in one sentence, it's this. Rather than convince the current population that our policies are working and they should vote for us as a result, we can't be bothered to do that. We're instead going to change the composition of the population and bring in people who will vote for us. So that's there isn't actually inherently a racial component to it. And it, it has nothing. It's a, to do it's a political point you're trying to make. It's a yeah, political I don't know point. what the ADL is doing weighing in on this. It has nothing. It has nothing to do. I mean, that's just insane. Um, and obviously, I'm not going to stop saying it because they're saying it. They've written books about it and monographs and endless number of speeches. You know, immigration will make this a more democratic country. OK, that's what they believe. That was Teddy. Ro that was. Teddy Kennedy's motive in passing the 1965 immigration law was to change the composition of the country. And I just think that that's anti-democratic. American citizens should control their government and they do it by voting. And if you dilute their voting power with immigration, you are undermining democracy by definition. Once again, if people immigrate here and become citizens, then they're part of America and they're part of the democracy now. Yeah, and then he just pretends to not know what it is now. Yeah, his version of this is dumb. So, if your boss fired you and then filled your position with someone else, you're being replaced. If your boss just hired someone else in your department and you keep your job, you have not been replaced by that person. Correct. So, in order for this to work, we would have to be quote unquote importing, you know, two foreign democratic voters for every one American voter. <laughs> and even with elevated numbers of immigration right now, that's not even close to the numbers we're seeing. No. And then when you consider like, I mean, we've talked about before, it's simply not true. It's not a one-to-one -one that every immigrant translates to a democratic voter. It's you're going to see much smaller numbers than that. Yeah. So the fact that he wants to, because he even says there's not inherently a racial component to it. It's a political objective. That's a smokescreen. It doesn't make any sense if you poke it even slightly. And when you take, when you note that in the last clip, he was worried about a multicultural country not being able to hold together, a multicultural, multilingual country not being able to hold together. The electoral element of this is a smokescreen. What he's worried about is the racial composition of the country. 
And that's why he gets so angry when Biden, when he pretends that Biden said non-white DNA is our strength. Like the, he wants to, he wants to act like this isn't about whiteness, but it is. Yeah. So, <laughs> and also fun to point out, um, Victor Orban is uh, a proponent of a version of this theory as well, which we didn't talk about in our Hungary episode. So I'll just point it out now. Um, in a speech, Orban asserted, quote, if in the future Europe is to be populated by people other than Europeans, and we accept this as fact and see it as natural, then we will effectively be consenting to population replacement to a process in which the European population is replaced. Uh, He also stated, in all of Europe, there are fewer and fewer children, and the answer of the West is migration, concluding that we Hungarians have have a different way of thinking. Instead of just numbers, we want Hungarian children. This is uh, echoed in a few years ago, Steve King, Rep. Steve King, I think former Rep. Steve King now, got a bunch of controversy by tweeting, um, you can't sustain your population with someone else's babies. This is is a really toxic thing that's been in the water for a long time. And we, we, we talked about this a bit back in episode nine, but I just want to point it out here again. That uh, this this theory, the Great Replacement theory, has been motivating factor in horrific acts of terrorist violence. Anders Breivik, the Norwegian terrorist who set off a car bomb that killed eight people at a government headquarters in Oslo, uh, before killing another sixty nine people in a shooting spree at a youth summer camp. Breivik says that he did this to protect his country. He claims to have acted in defense of Norway against multiculturalism. And in court, justified his massacre as an attempt to end, quote, multicultural drift. Quote from Brevik, people will understand me one day and see that multiculturalism has failed. If I am right, how can what I did be illegal? Norwegians risk being a minority in their own capital, in their own country in the future. Now, when Brevik says that he did this to defend his country, are there not echoes of that and Tucker saying, why don't people take border enforcement into their own hands? because the government has failed them. In October 2018, Robert Gregory Bowers killed 11 people and injured six in an attack on the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Bowers believed Jews were importing non-white immigrants into the United States as part of a conspiracy against the white race. Brenton Harris Tarrant, the Australian terrorist responsible for the mass shootings that killed 51 people and injured another 49, named his manifesto The Great Replacement. And Patrick Crucius, who committed the 2019 El Paso shooting, posted an online manifesto titled The Inconvenient Truth, in which he alluded to The Great Replacement and expressed support for the Christchurch shooter. He wrote about a, quote, Hispanic invasion of Texas leading to a cultural and ethnic replacement. Now, there will be people who disagree with me using the names of these terrorists, Um, because it humanizes them. But the point I want to make here is that these are humans. These are people who did what they did ultimately because they believed in a lie. And it's the same lie that Tucker is now telling to 3 million people by name on a near nightly basis. Obviously Uh. not. If ever, if ever the show is worthy of a sigh, right? Yeah. 
obviously not all of not all of those three million people are going to commit violence. Some percentage of them will. I believe yeah, the larger your audience is, <laughs> the more likely that one of them will will do something. This week, I, I I needed to cover this week because this reaffirmed for me that Tucker Carlson isn't just wrong. He's not just a liar. Tucker Carlson is dangerous. And what he's doing needs to be opposed. So with that said, I am. Um, I'm going to be redoubling my efforts a bit to oppose it on this show. Uh, Tyler knows this, but I, I have accepted a different job um, recently. And uh, it seems like what that's going to mean for my life is that I will have um, at least half an extra day a week off. I want to use that time to build out more of this podcast. It won't be immediately. I want to spend a couple of weeks building up a bit of a backlog, but I'm going to get into a status quo where we're we're releasing a bit more content. And I want it to be more, I mean, ultimately we're doing this because I enjoy it and I think it's it's fun and I like being right. (laughs) But more than that, I need to do this show because watching Tucker Carlson these past 30 weeks, yeah, these past 30 weeks, I'm afraid for the kind of world that he's trying to create. It's not a world that I want to live in. And I want to be doing what I can to oppose the creation of that world. So um, those are my thoughts. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Are you going to be okay, Troy? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we'll be. (laughs) All right. Just check in. I mean, unless I get killed by like uh, somebody watching Tucker Carlson in a mass casualty event, but you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> and just to give a little preview, like one of the things I'm going to be doing over the next couple of weeks, I want to look more into who is making this show because, like, I I believe that ultimately the show is Tucker's voice and kind of a, a projection of his ideas. But he has a lot of writers and researchers, and I want to know more about who those people are. And so I'm going to be I'm going to be doing some legwork to figure that out, um, among some other things I've been looking into. Because ultimately, he's just going to keep getting worse. So we need to keep getting better. I guess so. <laughs> God, that just I, it bothers me that I'm so speechless. It's just like he can get away with saying this and nothing happens to him yeah, he, he's gonna get people killed seriously I, I don't think i'm just being dramatic like at this point it's given the given the history of the 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 actions that these these kinds of ideas that have engendered that he's now the predominant voice in the world doing the most legwork to mainstream these ideas this is dark yeah yeah, it's not good. Uh, Tyler, what's our sworn enemy? <laughs> our sworn enemy is systematic racism. <sighs> Oppose systematic racism. <laughs> Oppose being racist in a <laughs> on a case by case in order 
<laughs> Opposed being Tucker Carlson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we'll be back. Um I in the next couple of weeks we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk more about Curtis Yarvin, who by the way is an Anders Brevik apologist. Um we're gonna talk more about Charles Murray, we're gonna talk about this Mickey Kelly interview, and wherever else, wherever else this this show takes us. <laughs> In the meantime, uh, you can find us at tuckeredoutpod.com. We're on Twitter. We're on Twitter at tuckeredoutpod. There's a Facebook group, Wokaristas. Uh, you can support us on Patreon. Um, it, we haven't had uh, new patrons for a few weeks, which is fine, but I want to say thank you to the patrons that we do have and to have uh, stuck around while we've been a little up and down this month. Yeah, especially like you guys have been... A, those of you who support this show have been a tremendous help. Um, I mean, I, uh, yeah, whatever. There's no reason to keep it a secret. I got fired from my job the other week, um, which is why I'm moving into this new job now. But, uh, like you guys were crucial to my life during that. So I, um, I really, really, really appreciate you. And frankly, like, I mean, Obviously, I don't want anyone to to give money to the show who doesn't have the means. But if you like what we do, and if you think it's important, and you want to see more of it, I want to do more of it. And every patron that we get gets us closer to me being able to do this full time. So, but we're going to keep doing it in whatever capacity we can. And thank you so much to everybody who's followed us up to this point. We're we're thirty episodes deep now, and people are still wanting to hear our voices every week, which is crazy. Yeah, it is kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, damn it, I forgot to cut it. He he named out to Yakima again. <laughs> oh, you forgot the one ray of joy that came out of this this week. And it, it's been, it's been a couple of weeks. Fitting. It's been a couple of weeks now, and I'm. It's a little bit less sore of a subject. I had some fire ass iCarly jokes in that Jimmy Dore episode that we lost. <laughs> Tragically. So, yeah, uh, resurrect the iCarly podcast, support the show. We'll be back next week. <laughs> <laughs> in the meantime, of course, don't watch Tucker's show. I'll do it for you and try to enjoy your life. And thanks for listening. Buck up. It's going to get better. <laughs> <laughs>